Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Professor David Saraf of the Jules Stein Eye Institute at UCLA. Welcome to Retina Synthesis, David. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you, you gave a fascinating talk at Angiogenesis 2022 entitled Subretinal Fluid in Neovascular AMD, Protective, Fact, or Fallacy? So what... Uh, what, why, why is this a, a pressing issue in your view of MAC, wet, treatment of wet macular degeneration? Well, there have been a lot of uh, trials recently, a lot of papers written that have kind of focused on this association of baseline and final outcome fluid being associated with better visual outcomes. And I think it led to this misconception that uh, fluid was actually protective uh, and actually could be uh, uh, mediating a better, vis better vision, uh, perhaps by nourishing the photoreceptors. That's one uh, concept that, I, that, that I've heard to explain that association. But I think if you look at some other pathways of fluid leakage, you begin to understand that it's a real association, but it relates uh, to other uh, pathoanatomical concepts. So that fluid, I think, uh, can be an association of good vision, but it doesn't mean that we necessarily should leave it there. It still needs to be treated, but it can be an indicator of the health of the RPE. And that's so, the, the message in a nutshell. So what about the pathophysiology of SRF? So I, I think when you see SRF, you know, at these, these one and two year outcomes, uh, it probably is an indicator that the RPE is still viable. The pump is still working. It may not be perfect, but it's still functioning. And so when we see fluid there, uh, it's probably a factor of both the RPE pump working, but not at an optimal level, but also a an, uh, an, um, reflection of underlying neovascularization, which we also know can sustain uh, and nourish the RPE. When the RPE is gone and it's atrophic, we showed many examples in that talk uh, that show that that fluid, subretinal fluid then resolves because then you lose that barrier. There's a normal bulk direction of flow from the vitreous to the choroid. And when you lose the RPE completely as with GA or, or what we refer to now as CRORA, that fluid just passes with facility into the choroid. And that's why I think you see poor visual outcomes when there's no uh, fluid at the one and two year outcomes. I think uh, at the one and two year visits, uh, th that's an indicator that the RPE is lost uh, and the underlying neovascular, uh, neovascular proliferation is also absent. Now we all agree that interretinal fluid is, is not good. Yeah, interretinal fluid's a little bit, uh, a little bit different. We see um, intraretinal fluid uh, when uh, we lose, uh, when we have atrophy again. So it's a similar concept, but when we, we tend to see intraretinal cysts when atrophy is present, and this, is may, this may relate to the loss of Mueller cells. So whereas subretinal fluid resolves with, with end-stage end atrophy, GA and CRORA, we can develop intraretinal cysts as a reflection of Mueller cell loss. And so that is actually the type of fluid when we see uh, when we see atrophy present. We don't see subretinal fluid, but we see these degenerative cysts, 
And that may explain the many papers that have shown a correlation of intraretinal fluid at one and two years with poorer, uh, with worse visual outcomes. So in these in the large studies, the CAT, the Ivan, uh, Harvard trials, what what uh, what can we glean from those three studies about SRF? Well, I think I think what what we learned from those studies is that in fact, yes, there is consistent association of subretinal fluid with better visual outcomes, and that's not because subretinal fluid is protective. That's just an indicator that you have a a viable uh, RPE pump that is trying to reduce fluid from the subretinal space. And there's also underlying neovascularization, uh, which may be active and paradoxically sustaining the RPE and nourishing it. And that may be overwhelming the RPE pump. When we lose that fluid, it's usually a sign at these one and two year outcomes that the RPE barrier is lost and the, the pump is no longer there and there's no longer a barrier to fluid, bulk fluid outflow into the choroid. In the Hawk and Harrier trials, there was a, an analysis of IRF and subretinal fluid. And uh, the conclusion was is that this was seen with both brolicizumab and aflipercept that, that uh, drying was good for vision. Yeah, I still think that we see that this is, I think, the, the, the main gist of, uh, of, of the talk that I gave is that subretinal fluid still needs to be treated. And, and it's still important to, uh, to detergest the retina, uh, especially if there are associated features of neovascularization like SREM or heme, or if there's progressive fluid. I think if you have mild, persistent, shallow fluid, that is not progressing and there are no other signs of active neovascularization, perhaps that fluid can be observed. But if you see progressive fluid, uh, certainly that needs to be treated. There's no benefit in observing a progressive subretinal fluid. And I think ultimately our goal is to detergest the retina. But we have to understand these nuances um, uh, in terms of uh, fluid uh, dynamics uh, degenerative cysts, overlying areas of end-stage atrophy, those can be monitored. Those don't need to be treated. And you'll, you'll know that because they don't typically progress um, with the observation. And that's what we've noted too with subretinal fluid. If it doesn't progress, it, it probably can be observed. But if it progresses, it should be treated for sure. Any observations about subretinal fluid and diabetic retinopathy, macular edema? Well, that, that's, that, that's an interesting consideration. You do get subretinal fluid with DME, and we've talked about this. We wrote a, a paper, uh, uh, one or two different papers, looking at subretinal fluid. I think you see it in, in two different situations. One, when there's massive diabetic macular edema, uh, that will, uh, I think, overwhelm the RPE pump, and you'll see a gravitation of that fluid into the subretinal space. And usually it'll be associated with severe diffuse CME and large areas of subretinal fluid. There is another situation though, when you see small pockets of central fluid, and we've referred to this as an alteration in the cone bouquet. And what happens in those situations is when the retina swells or there's traction on the retina, this pulls on the Mueller cells, which almost act like shock absorbers or springs. And it causes that central bouquet to elevate. 
So in many various situations, when there's swelling or traction in the retina, you'll get these small pockets of subretinal fluid that may just be a manifestation or a reflection of Mueller cell sweat, swell, Mueller cell stretching, causing that little pocket to elevate. But in the situations where you have more widespread subretinal fluid, that may be an association of severe diabetic macular edema. So in looking at new pharmaceutical agents, is uh, persistence of SRF uh, still an important variable to be examined? Yeah, persistent SRF, is, it's a kind of, uh, this is another concept that, uh, that we've talked about and we've studied. Again, I think it can, the RPE pump, the choroid, neovascularization, all these different pathways are important to consider when you see persistent subretinal fluid. It can... The likely, the typical scenario in a patient with neovascularization is that you have active neovascularization. It's leaking across the RPE. The RPE is working over time, but it's a little bit overwhelmed. And there's uh, uh, some residual subretinal fluid that's still persistent. If that's predominantly the result of neovascularization, that fluid will progress and you'll need to treat it if it progresses or if it's significant or associated with other mediators of neovascularization. But there are situations in both non-neovascular and neovascular AMD where you can get fluid not because of neovascularization. It can be because of other pathways such as uh, RPE pump failure, as I've already discussed at length, or pachychoroid disease. That can be a factor too to consider. So when you see persistent subretinal fluid, it shouldn't be a knee-jerk reaction uh, to inject. You have to consider these other pathways. Well. David, this has been a fascinating discussion about uh, issues that have been on the mind of clinicians for many years and will continue to. Uh, thanks for joining us on Retina Synthesis. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Carmen.